Hello, we are the Makers of History, with me, Foz, and Ross. Say hello, Ross. Hello. And uh, what's been going on there, mate? I feel like it's been a little while since we properly spoke last. Not face to face. Yeah, no, um, it's been good. Today I made a massive curry that turned out not to be very good, but... It's the first time in years oh, that yeah, I've yeah, That's the whole reason we moved over, weren't it? Because you were going to tell me that story. Yeah, I mean, long and short of it, it was kind of the flavour wasn't quite there. It had like six or seven Ruit chilies, but it still had no heat. What's a Ruit chili? I've not had that. R A W I T, like Ruit. I don't know. I don't know. I've had them before. I've no idea. What um, they like? Small red ones. Okay. Could that be bird's eye um, chili? Long and thin. Long and thin. Not they're like, on, yeah, they're like green. thin and long, on, but they're red and they're. Be green, I don't know. But they were say long. I mean, I mean, like they're like you know. Thin and relatively long, like proportionally, but they're small. Mm, I don't know. Oh, anyway, well. but yeah, so that wasn't a massive success, but uh, we tried, and yesterday actually went to cinema yesterday. And saw Killers of the Flower Moon, the new uh, Martin Scorsese, Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert ah, De Niro film. How was that? That's really good, actually. It's, yeah, um, yeah. About like how there was a Native American people called the Osage, and in the early 20th century, they had oil on their land. And then basically all these white people just turned up trying to take their oil off and by like, you know, marrying them just to get into the oil families or just killing them straight up, killing them. Wow. It's really good film. Strongly recommend. Fucking hell. But yeah, it's fucking depressing. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I don't, I don't do well with those kinds of films. I just feel bombed out for ages after them. Yeah. It's yeah. like the, uh, the, the Boy in the Striper PJs. Like, <laughs> that, I, thought, I was devastated after that. Like, emotionally. Yeah, I don't think I could deal with watching it. <laughs> yeah, it's hard hit. Have you not seen it? No. Oh, it's hard hitting, man. It's upsetting as well. Proper upsetting. Yeah. Bloody bastards. Pretty much. Oh, you been anyway? Have you been yeah, to... yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, it's Friday, so I've finished work for the week. Busy, busy couple of weeks at work. Extensions going well. Everything's warm again now, which is nice. Well, it's warm enough. All the insulation isn't in the extension, but it's like all doored up and that doored up ceilings on. Like some of the insulation's in. And it's getting, you know, it was really cold to be fair last week yeah. in the house, like freezing. You got like the back of the house is now back attached. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're like, you know, joining the podcast now, you listen to the older episodes, the window opportunity for walking into Foz's house and stealing all this shit has now closed. Yeah, yeah. Now to get in the house, if you're through the back anyway, you'd have to get through two back doors because the rest of my house back doors are all still there. So if you have a burglar, challenge. Double back doors. <laughs> <laughs> if you're after some I've back door action, <laughs> come to my house because I've got two of them. <laughs> Smiles <laughs> the action. Nice. Two times the fuzz. <laughs> I'm just trying uh, to figure the mechanics of how that would work. Yeah. <laughs> 
come to the back of my house one night and you can find out. <laughs> no, but it's all going good, mate. Yeah. Yeah, got a weekend of not a lot planned. So, yeah, I'm enjoying life. Nice. What are you drinking? What's on the uh, what's on the menu? So I've got a I've got to try and say this a Postzhinsky, mm. and I've bought this solely because I keep seeing the bottle and it has a picture of the Czech writer Bohemil Rabel on it, which oh, has been intriguing me. Apparently, okay. the name is like comes from one of his books. So I bought it purely because as I'm just like showing the picture to Files. Obviously, yeah, you can't yeah, see yeah. This. So that's what, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, like I'm looking at it deeply, forgetting we're actually recording. Our voices don't look. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I've just been beguiled by the fact it has the. It, was, it, it would be like a, a British beer having like George Orwell on it or something like that. Okay. Just like that's kind of interesting. I wonder why it's like that. And um, why is it like that? So yeah, apparently the, it's the name of a town, but it's also the name of a book the guy wrote, which has been adapted into a film. Okay. This is according to my wife, who may be incorrect about this, as she is generally wrong when it comes to like Czech trivia questions. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, it's Sarah Mom, Mrs. <laughs> <laughs> so you walk through like some park, and there be like statues, and you're like, "Oh, who's that?" And she's like, "Oh, it's a writer." And you're like, Are "You sure? He's on a horse and he's holding a sword." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, is well, it any good? It's okay. Um, the first, like the first swig of it, I was like, eh, but it's kind of grown on me. It's five uh, percent, so it's quite strong. What's it? Is it like really bitter or it's dark? Is yeah, it dark? it's a bit. It's, no, it's light. Yeah. It's light. Uh, oh, hold that up for your viewing. Oh, very nice. Yeah, oh yeah, it's very light. I like it. Like yeah, it. but it's quite. It's a bit bitter. Yeah. Oh, very nice. Okay. What have you got? Wow. I'll tell before I tell you what I've got. You're probably mm. gonna tell all of our friends, and you're all gonna tease me about it. But I've got raspberry vodka and lemonade. Oh, cool! You're sixteen. <laughs> <laughs> right, Have you put some skittles in there? No, there's a story <laughs> behind it. No, it's actually raspberry vodka. Right? So. <laughs> Listen, listen here. Right, there's a story behind it. So we went to a... Uh, there was a charity thing we went to a couple, like a, a couple of weeks ago. And it was okay. that music. It was that two-tone music night thing I told you about. So it was yeah, like... Yeah. They call it the Stomper. And it's like... Uh, everything from like Northern Soul. Uh, just all that kind of vibe of music. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like Motown. Motown. Uh, little bit of reggae, just that sort of, you know, skinhead mm-hmm. scene, like sort yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, banging night anyway, it was really cool music, but it was also a charity event for Bernardo's, right. And so Which there's a, a raffle there. Charity. Which is a children's charity. Um, and the bar, there was a raffle on, and the bar, I'd give a bottle of this to, as a raffle prize, and we've won it, it on the it? raffle. <laughs> so... You know, it's charity. It, I can't run this for charity. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's good. You you're drinking it for the children then. For the so children, that's... yeah, to save the children. <laughs> so yeah, it's JJ Whitley's, which they make gin. Normally, they're well known mm. for the gin, but they make your vodka as well, blueberry vodka as well. So I'm drinking that. <laughs> I know. I know. I've probably never said that sentence before. Where's the, where's the bottle? So you can see. It looks fancy. 
Yeah, it looks it like the real got, deal. I don't know. It's got it... some scroll work on like into the glass, that's nice. Yeah, it's, it's a collector's piece that. Oh, is it forty percent? I don't know. It's thirty eight percent. Um but yeah, so that's what I'm drinking. Some lemonade as well. If that's what I'm drinking, you're gonna have to deal with that. No, I don't judge you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I say I've been wanting to pour myself a drink of it for I just could have dropped the first one. So I was like waiting to do it so we could do it in the podcast. Nice. <laughs> I like the sound effect of like the cork coming out and stuff. Yeah, yeah it's, it's all right to be fair. It's not too bad. <laughs> I know it's not, you know, what I'm known for, but. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Um, so what? What? This is like special. We should have done like. Uh, in fact, we should have done a special intro for it and been like Halloween special. We should have done that. Yeah, we yeah. like it. Yeah. Uh, so this is going to be completely different to, we're, we're sort of breaking away just for one little at the Nazis yep. we're just going to solid track the Nazis and we're going to do like a little Halloween thing so what are we doing then What are we going to, what, what's Halloween yeah so for a Halloween special just a bit of a lighter touch and what I thought we'd look at is the history behind the vampire <laughs> so like a <laughs> we have to figure out that like organ like the do 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 thing you know yeah yeah <laughs> I need a soundboard um, but I'd fill it with them I'd fill it with them like what 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 and stuff like that so it's probably best if you don't do that actually because you know I'd do that as well <laughs> yeah that, w- that would get old after about 20 minutes yeah <laughs> um, yeah so if we would look at um, a little bit about the origins of vampire mythology and how it kind of cool. developed in history um so yeah, so we can vampires and like vampire analogues exist in mo- in a lot of different cultures, and it goes way back in in history. So I mean, the ancient Egyptians had a vampire type thing. So did the ancient Romans. When you say uh, vampire type thing, though, how vampire? Because obviously, saying mm-hmm. that, then we might all we've all got we know Holly, what Hollywood vampires are. Yeah. I'm all skipping ahead. Yeah. No, what? I think it's I think say, it's... Hollywood vampires versus what are these? You know, what is a vampire to these? Yeah. So yes, yeah, so obviously, like Hollywood vampire, we have an image. We have like in normally it's an aristocrat. It's like a pale, noble, undead thing that burns in the sunlight and like drinks the blood of the living. Right. Would the kind of the unifying thing of like these vampire type things is it's some form of risen dead that will harm the living so i mean obviously when we say vampire you think of like you think of like christopher lee or bella lugosi or you know your classic ah 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 vampire but this kind of the basic element of something that comes back from the dead and feeds on the living this exists in a lot of cultures okay. um that can just be a zombie Zombies, like as we understand, it's a very modern thing. Oh, okay. um, well, but they had, but the, they had the mummies back in Egypt. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to have to be the one to break this to you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not the same as the documentary with Brendan Fraser. Oh, <laughs> no, but I mean, like, um, for example, the ghouls, which came out of like Arab mythology, are very similar like in their origins and okay. then like the the differentiation comes later um 
So the ancient Egyptians, the ancient Romans, the ancient Chinese all had ghosts and demons which did a similar thing to vampires of being living dead that feed on the living. And one of the kind of the starting points of vampire myth is in ancient Babylon and Mesopotamia where there is a demon called Lilithu which gets adopted into Jewish mythology as, and it gets the name Lilith which tends to crop up in films and stuff nowadays and basically Lilith had the appearance of a woman and fed on the blood of babies I've definitely um, heard that name Lilith before yeah like, it gets, times. It gets yeah, repurposed like a, in fantasy a lot actually doesn't it mm-hmm. yeah when you when you look for it it's there a lot I think like Warhammer Fantasy uses it in its backstory and uh, a lot of stuff uses it yeah. they've got it so yeah, so this this appears like you know through the Hebrew Bible, and Lilith fed on the blood of babies, and to protect their children, mothers would put amulets, like religious amulets, over their cots to protect them. So it's a very early f- introduction to the idea that a religious symbol protects you from the vampire. Okay, yeah. So the origins of the like the word vampire it comes into English via German, and it's from a Serbian word vampir. And the words in most Slavic languages and Turkic languages as well are very similar. So in Czech it's upir, Russian vampir also it's very similar. And this kind of origin that it's this common word in Slavic languages and Turkic languages suggests that the word itself comes somewhere out like the Eurasian steppe. So you feel like those nomadic cultures, that's probably where the idea begins. Okay. In a sense that we would recognise it. Now, so you mentioned the Hollywood vampire. So the vampire as we know it, the rises out of its grave in the night, feeds on the living, goes back and sleeps in the coffin at night, killed with a stake through the heart, all that sort of stuff. This is specific to southeastern Europe in the Balkans. So we're thinking of like Albania, Serbia, Bosnia, Romania, Greece, and uh, like the western parts of Turkey. What of that? Because obviously now that's what we all think it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, the world thinks that's what a vampire is. Yeah, so that's so where it's, it, like it, at this time when these are you talking. So the idea goes back. I think you could say easily a thousand years, and there's evidence yeah. to say it goes back further. There's a fifth century burial which is suggested to be an anti-vampire burial. Oh wow, where's that? Uh, I can't remember where it was. Uh, I think it was Greece or Turkey, that's but like cool. it's where they had wedged a rock into a woman's mouth to stop her biting wow yeah so it, it goes back but it's very regional specific to the balkans now it's kind of interesting like some of the traits that which we really identify like the hollywood vampire are shared in these like different culture vampires so for example you know the idea like if you throw sand at the vampire it has to count the grains of sand no I've never okay. heard that one. <laughs> you know the vampire on you Sesame. Said that like it's a well-known. Thing, it's a well-known right? thing. Sure, it's a well-known thing. I'm down with the fantasy, man. You know what I mean? Yeah, you throw like grains or rice or sand at the vampire, it has to stop to count them. I didn't know that was that fun. No, I didn't know that. You one. know, you know on Sesame Street, there's a vampire. Yeah. What's the name of the vampire? Count. Yeah. Why is he called the Count? I just thought he liked to he count. Can. I thought I didn't think it was that all vampires <laughs> like to count. Yeah, yeah, that's why he's a vampire. Oh. Fuck the count spiders on the wall. 
Yeah, if you're not aware of that, that's a cobwebs in the hole. You know what I mean? Like, he counts everything at that. Like, respect goes out to the count. (laughs) 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 He's literally called Count Von Count, and that completely went over your fucking head. I just called that. I knew he was a big man in the counting. <laughs> I knew he was big into the counting. There's not, no, I'm not denying that. But I didn't know that meant all that. I didn't know that that was a thing that all yeah, vampires. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was just him because he was the, the kiddie counter man. You know what I no. mean? I didn't know that. <laughs> the kiddie go. counter man. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. It's not mixed up like Jimmy Savile. <laughs> He actually sponsors his podcast. From <laughs> <laughs> Beyond the Grave! Because it's a bit international. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah, no, it's... it's, it's, it's <laughs> man. <laughs> And we wonder why we're not sponsored. <laughs> but yeah, it's a common it's a common trait like the Hollywood vampire. You can stop them by throwing grains or sand or rice, and they stop and they can possibly count. Oh, I'm down with that. I accept that now. So this comes in Slavic tradition, but it also appears in Chinese traditions around like, around their version of. Vampire. Oh, that's mad. Yeah, so that's really interesting that they have this same idea popping up in two places. Because one, like, anti-vampire remedy was fill the coffin with, like, grains of rice or so grains of sand. count them all. It would stay there and count all night. And this happens in both sides of the world. Ah. Similarly, That's both... mad. Yeah. It's a that really... can't be a coincidence. And again, it's like this... I think... I think this idea of if this came off of the steps as the origin place of the idea... And then it travels in both directions with nomadic peoples into China and uh, into Eastern Europe. Because it is really interesting. This is both places have the same very specific idea. Yeah. It's and too both, much of a coincidence. Yeah. Way too much. Yeah, it's interesting. And both Slavic and Chinese traditions believe that if a body is walked over by an animal, that it becomes a vampire. Oh. So yeah, some really specific details in both directions. You thinking, face on? Oh, sorry. Yeah, oh, yeah. Gosh. I was just gonna. Uh, yeah, no. That's fucking mad, man. <laughs> it's mad that it comes from. It's gotta. It's gotta be a shared. You need to talk to me more about the shared identity bias law. Is that what you can tell me about now? Uh, it's not actually where I was gonna go with this. Okay. What's um, it, have you not? So you don't know. Well, it's. Man. It's like from the material I looked at, it's just kind of thrown out as, isn't this interesting? Yeah. And I don't think there's been a lot of looking at it, unless I straight up haven't found right. it. Imagine if what, this podcast, right, we could get sponsored to go and figure that out. We literally become internet vampire hunters. Internet vampire hunters to see where the real vampires come from. If there's any really rich historians listening, yeah, any, to do we'll do any eccentric aristocrats that would like to deal yeah, with vampires, yeah, you know, I do miss the, the aristocrats a little bit. <laughs> Those are gonna pop up, so no, <laughs> like I won't disagree on that one. Sorry. Okay, go on. Then, um, and yes, yeah, so, I mean, like on the one hand, you have this kind of like 
I did put some rice in the grave to keep the vampire there. Other solutions a bit more um, lethal. So there's tradition of burying bodies with like a scythe blade over them. So if the vampire tries to like climb out the tomb, it like cuts its own head off. That's smart. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I mentioned the vampire burials. So there's, you know, archaeologists excavate graves and they suspect certain ones are vampires. Might be the case that they find, like, as I mentioned, the scythe blade, or they find a metal stake through the heart, pinning it to the coffin. Or if they know about the scythe thing and cutting the head off, wouldn't they have just cut the heads off? That also happens. We also find graves where the head has been removed and placed between the feet or placed under its arse as, like, a anti-vampire measure. Yeah. I think by the arse could just be an insult burial mm. as well. But the, between the feet, that is like... That makes more sense. Yeah. So it's like you're still giving your, like, you know, your loved one like a respectful burial. They're having a coffin and all that. But you are also cutting their head off and putting their head by their feet. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so like the... There's at least a thousand years of evidence of vampire belief in southeastern Europe. And... What I was going to talk about would be a couple of real-life, quotation marks floating there, real-life vampires. Real-life vampires. Yeah. So, like, the first... so what you're saying, real-life vampires, what, what are the... Is it, are these, like, documented as being vampires? Well, like, also this... From, like, the 1800s in, like, one novel or book or journal. So what we're going to talk about is we've got a couple of examples we're going to go through of people who were believed to be vampires and oh, what nice. happened around the the vampire craze that happened around them. No, it's okay. So the first recorded vampire with a name is a guy named Yuri Grando Alilovich. And he lived in the kind of the western parts of modern Croatia, which is an area of Kind of cultural mix. There's Austrian influence, there's Italians, there's obviously Croatians as well. Uh, very kind of mixed region. And Jure, he died of illness in 1656. So in the middle of the 17th century. But he was reported to have been coming back from the dead for the next 16 years, rising at night to terrorise the village. Yeah. So he, what would happen, he'd allegedly wake up in the night, come out of his grave and go from door to door, banging on the houses. And if Yure was knocking on your door, that was a sign you were going to die soon after. <laughs> and not only that, Yure was also frequently appearing to his wife in their home and <clears throat> basically forcing himself on her. <laughs> So, like, and she reported that he was turning up looking like he's smiling and struggling for breath while he, like, literally raped her. Whoa. And this was happening again and again and again over a course of 16 years. Wouldn't have his butts, his body wasn't all right on that, then. Well, so people were reporting just seeing him around the village. Even the village priest, a guy named Father Giorgio, was walking around the village at night and apparently came face to face with him. And he held a cross out and shouted at him, Behold, Jesus Christ, you vampire! Stop tormenting us! <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> no, you're 
torment me. <laughs> right, if that's all it took to get rid of fucking vampires. We'd all well, that, that didn't get rid of him. Oh, so he came. He kept coming whack. back. Uh, Father Giorgio survived, apparently. That worked. But the villagers like tried to stake him in the chest, but the stake just like bounced off. Um... <laughs> After that, they got like a little mob together. So about nine people went to the graveyard with lamps, with a big cross, with some stakes. And they went and they went to Uriel Ilovich's grave and they dug up the body. And bear in mind, he's been dead 16 years, right? When they opened the coffin, the body is perfectly preserved with a smile on its face. When they tried to put the stake into its chest, it just bounces off the skin. They couldn't get the stake in. So one guy, a villager named Stepan Milashic, took a saw, which apparently he took with him, and he started <laughs> sawing the body's head off. <laughs> and at the point that the saw tore the skin of the neck, there was a terrible scream from the vampire, and blood came pouring out, like liquid blood came pouring out of the uh, injury in the neck. So they cut the head from the vampire, and from then on, peace returned to the village. Oh, fair play. So at least I got the vampire. Yeah, they got the vampire. At least I got the and... fucking vampire. <laughs> <laughs> the the rapiest kind of... vampire ever. Yeah. So I think this one's really interesting because even though it's like a really early vampire, it captures a lot of the classic vampire things. Mm. So it's it's scared of holy symbols. Obviously, Dracula... What date like, is this? 1656. So 1650, 1670s, but I think I rid of it. You know, Dracula is a heavily, like, sexually uh, charged novel. And, like, the classic Dracula stories were, like, the seductive vampire that wants to sleep with women and stuff. Mm. So this element is already there in the story. You know, the priest scaring him away and then killing it with a stake through the heart and chopping the head. So the story gets written down. There's this, like, kind of nobleman scientist type that's riding around the country in the 1680s. So less than 10 years after the incident. And he writes the story down well, that's how it's preserved. So, this then, the first vampire we can put a name to. Mm, that's a bit wishy washy, though, isn't it? I mean, the, the details are there. There's a lot the of very specific there, data. Yeah. Yeah. But for the time being, the vampire story remains locked in, like, the Balkans. It stays as an eastern, southeastern Europe thing. He could have just made it up. But I doubt it. That's... Nah, nah, he couldn't have because of... Uh... Yeah, go on. I'm just yeah, thinking, I mean, I'm like, pondering, I'm pondering. For the guy writing the story, he's only just after it happened. And yeah. he supposedly travelled to the village and the village has yeah. told him the story. So the, it would be well within a different lifetime. Yeah, yeah. I do have some theories about why these stories come from where they do, but we'll come to that in a bit. Okay. So, oh, that'll be interesting. <clears throat> so anyway, so 17th century, the myth stays locked in southeastern Europe. In the 18th century, it begins to spread, and this is how it comes into, you know, the idea comes into... England and France and other places and how the word appears. And the way it comes to the West is because of political changes in the East. So in Southeastern Europe, there's two big empires, the Austrian Habsburg Empire and the Ottoman Empire, which is a Turkish Muslim Empire. 
And between them, like the border between them, it runs somewhere like in a kind of diagonal line from the Balkans through modern Hungary into Romania. And it moves a lot. Exactly. There's lots of backwards and forwards at different times. Yeah. So in like the 16th, 17th century, the Ottomans are very powerful and they're pushing into Europe. And in 1689, they get as far as Vienna. But in the 18th century, things start to swing the other way. Technology starts to favour the Austrians while the Ottomans start to suffer from internal weaknesses. And the kind of the military tide begins to turn in Austria's favour, and they are able to push the boundary further south and east into the Balkans. In 1718, Austria is able to uh, take over most of, mo- of what is now Serbia and Bosnia. And they expand into these areas which have been under Ottoman rule for centuries at this point. This is an area which has been devastated by centuries of fighting between the Austrians and the Ottomans. Yeah, the constant back and forwards and the raiding. So it's exactly. Ottoman raiding was going yes. on at the time, and they were raiding each other across the border. Though even when they weren't at war, it was happening as well. Even when they weren't yeah, exactly. actually at war with each other, they were still constantly raiding. So yeah. most of that region was probably absolutely fucking devastated, wasn't it? Exactly. It's completely underpopulated. The poverty is so unreal. Exactly. People are dirt poor because you can't even have like a farm. Dirt farmers, all of them. You can't even be a dirt farmer because you set up your dirt farm and then a pack of Austrians or a pack of Ottomans roll through and burn your dirt farm down. So actually farming had almost disappeared from the region. People were living off of animals because you can move the animals out the way. Makes sense. So it's very underpopulated, very poor and people living off of just subsistence with herds. It's almost a semi-nomadic lifestyle. The, the like the region on the Austrian side of the border was li- literally called the military frontier, and like the normal rules of like you know feudal aristocratic structures didn't apply. It was literally governed by the Austrian army. Anyway, so the border moves south, and this area is now taken inside of the Austrian Empire, and the Austrians are trying to resettle it, try and get some economic value out of it, and they're encouraging the migration of Serbian people into the area. So there are many Serbs who have fled inside Austria and have settled elsewhere. And there's also plenty of Serbs still living inside the Ottoman Empire. Remember, the Serbs are Orthodox Christians. The Ottomans are uh, Sunni Muslims. And Christians in the Ottoman Empire did face discrimination. And, um, you know, they, they were restricted in how they could live. They couldn't live freely. What, Christians? Inside the Ottoman Empire, yeah. Oh, yeah. So the Austrians are trying to encourage people to migrate into this newly acquired territory. So Serbian people moving in from these very, very poor, isolated areas, and they bring the vampire legend with them. The vampire legend's got to be, like, changed then, if you, like, figured out how it changes, or... (laughs) So I was saying, like, you know, my theory of how this took off... And I think it's basically a product of trauma. People, you know, the area it's in has been a battleground for centuries. It's an area which is poor and underdeveloped. Yeah. And which is like exploited by two imperial powers facing each other. So I think the reason it survives and becomes so entrenched in Southeast Europe is because of that. Basically, people dealing with the trauma of constant war and raiding. In the Ottoman Empire, like Christian populations would have literally their children taken away. Uh, what's known as the blood tax. What the fuck? Well, you know the Ottomans, you've heard of the Janissaries, right? 
Yeah. The Ottoman elite soldiers. Do you know where the Janissaries came from? No, no, no. I just thought they were like badass units or something. Well, no. So well, they were, yeah, they were they were badass uh, infantrymen. But the way the Ottomans got them was that they required the Christian villages to give their sons to the state that were taken from their families, taken you know, to Istanbul, converted to Islam and raised to be like slave soldiers. And they Whoa, you know, I didn't know that. Yeah, they had their identity wiped away. Fuck. So the stories in the Balkans of like families would like deliberately mutilate their sons so that they wouldn't be taken to the Janissary Corps. That's mad. Mm-hmm. All Christian sons, or was it just? Like no, it was it was a, a percentage. They just come up and round them up like every now. Exactly, again. exactly. That's, so I think this dark. sort of yeah. So I think this sort of lingering trauma is where the vampire stories become deep in the culture. Mm. And then, as people fleeing from the Ottoman Empire brought these stories into Europe. Oh, uh, into Christian Europe, sorry. Then they spread. And the early 18th century sees a real vampire craze, like a mass hysteria throughout locations in Europe that can really be tied to the specific date of 1718 when the Austrians take control of Serbia. Oh, okay, yeah. That makes sense, doesn't it, obviously, because it's you've got to remember at this point as well, that's the border of... Europe essentially isn't it that yeah. constantly shifting so that story coming into Europe and then obviously Europe the communications was I'm not saying like um, like nowadays it's like this but at the time like that area of those, where those stories come from there wasn't the technology for the communication yeah, it was, exactly. and it was a very far behind what the European technology was miles behind so as soon yeah. as that word comes in, obviously, free press, books, papers, you know, that just, exactly. I, I bet that'll just spread through and everyone will get wind of it. And then all of a sudden it starts cropping up a bit more. Yeah, so you get a couple of mass hysteria epidemics in Prussia, but we're going to focus on one that happened in Austria. So there's two really famous cases. One is regarding a guy named Petr Blagojevich, but the one we're going to talk about is a guy named Arnold Paola. So, uh, Arnold Paola. Yeah, I mean, the name, it's clearly not his real name. This is like a Serbian name as interpreted by like German speaking Austrians yeah. as passed to Western Europe. So, Arnold was a Serbian man who had moved from Ottoman territory into a newly acquired Habsburg village called Medvedia, which would mean something like the Bear Village. Okay. And he was a type of person called a Hajduk. So the Hajduks were ethnic Serbian, basically militiamen, that the Austrians gave them free land to live on in return for military services, like okay. regular soldiers. Yeah. And like, so he yeah, mo- like the Romans did. Uh, like in the opposite direction. Yeah, yeah, something a bit like that. Um, so he claimed that he, when he was living in the Ottoman parts of Serbia, that he had been attacked by a vampire. Mm. But he'd been able to cure himself by eating the soil from the vampire's grave and then bathing himself in the blood of the vampire. Bullshit. I'm <laughs> you are fucking lying. What's his name? Pet- Arnold 
Arnold, Arnold. Payola. Oi, Payola. You were a fucking liar. I'm not, ta- I'm not accepting that. You just imagine you're in the pub and he's had three drinks and, oh, fuck, he's about eating the vampire grave again. Yeah, I'll fucking pay out of that because he's fucking <laughs> pay out. He's a fabler. Hey, nice punning. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so he, he, <laughs> he moved to this village in now Austrian territory. And in the year 1726, he f- was working in the fields, collecting the hay harvest, fell off the hay cart, broke his neck and died. Okay, normal village accident in the 18th century. Mm. Fine. But within... Pretty funny way to die, fall off the hay cart. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a metaphor for something. I'm pretty sure he was pissed. (laughs) He's a Serbian man working in a field. Of course he was pissed. Yeah. Um, So within 30 days, though, four people in the village complained that they had been plagued by him. Like him turning up at their houses, following them around, that sort of thing. And oh, I thought you meant like, I will give you the plague. Blah, 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 no, blah, like, blah, literally, blah, like, blah, like, oh, stop plaguing me. You're following me around. <laughs> okay, I'm going to start using that on let. Be like, when, yo, let's stop, stop plaguing me. Yeah, that's a good word. But all four of those people died shortly after being plagued by Arnold. Oh, given the COVID? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just coughing on them, <laughs> failing to wear his mask, not practicing social distancing. <laughs> All up in the grill. So, <laughs> so, like, the local village administrator was like, okay, let's open up the grave since everyone's claimed to have been plagued and then died. And bear in mind, he's been buried for a month. Yeah. They found again the body is not decomposed at all liquid blood in the veins and fresh blood flowing from his eyes, nose, mouth and ears. What, just constantly? Yeah, just like trickling. Ah. The skin and the fingernail and the nails of his hands and his feet had fallen off and new ones had grown in their place and his hair and his beard had grown. So they drew the... What's so special? How did they know that it fell off and new ones had grown? Because they're like... Well, they look at his hands and they see like shiny new nails, and they can see like the the dead ones on the floor oh. of, the, of the coffin. Yeah, but that's not how nails nails just keep growing. They don't break off and grow new ones. They just keep growing. We're going to come to this in a minute because okay. this is a recurring theme, and we'll get to the explanation of what this is about. So, seeing this vampire, you know, or this body undecomposed, fresh blood, finger and he- fingernails and hair apparently growing. Draw the obvious conclusion, it's a vampire. Well, what other conclusion would you come exactly. to? Exactly. It's fucking, you know, it's a vampire. Exactly. So they apply the traditional remedy, they stake him in the heart, and when they put the stake in, it produces a terrible scream as if he was alive, fresh blood pouring from the wound, and then to be really sure, they cut the head off and burn the body. Yeah, well, and did that's the double tap, you know what I mean? Nuke it from orbit, it's the only way to be sure. Yeah, that and that. And then did the same thing to the four victims to be sure that they don't also become vampires. Oh, well, that uh, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Obviously. You want to be safe. With you, got to, you don't want anyone plaguing you. No, no. That must be well annoying. So, you know, the villagers go home happy with a good day's work. Five years later, 1732, in the same village, a new outbreak of vampirism occurs... And How many years later? Five. 
Mm. Dangerously close. Mm. And more than 10 people, depending on which source, it's either 13 or 17 people die in a matter of weeks. And for a lot of them, they report being contacted by the vampire, and within a few days, they're dead with no sign of illness. We've got two different sources, which is why the numbers and the details vary slightly between them. So, we say either 13 or 17 people died. They varied in ages from, we have like 69-year-old woman named Militza down to like an eight-week-old baby. We have a 16-year-old boy named Miloya. We have a 20-year-old woman named Stana and her like newborn unnamed baby. Other people including like the village, the village leader's wife uh, and a servant of the local militia leader all die. So it's a lot of different people, different walks of life, different ages, different genders. So they got a disease. So the first person to die is a 69-year-old woman named Militza. She allegedly had eaten the meat of a sheep that had been killed by the previous vampires five years earlier. How's she eating five-year-old meat? <laughs> this Imagine is a how bit... nasty that would be. <laughs> right, lamb as well. Weird. Lamb or sheep? Is it specific? Because it makes a difference. It says sheep. Ah, oh, so that's old dirty sheep. Old dirty sheep meat. I don't know if it's the case that she ate it like five-year-old like vampire sheep, like mm, delicious, matured, or if she ate it five years ago. Man. She was like walking around the village and there's a dead sheep, and she's like, "Looks like dinner's yeah, here." Twenty-eight <laughs> days aged. You're talking business. You go, to, you can go too far, I believe. Like I've never had like a ninety-day aged. I've, I've had a, I've had a forty, I think, and it was nice, but. I think five years is too many years. When you get into the years, it's not. That's not dry aging. That's abandoned. It's like, it's like what fifteen hundred day aged. That's a lot of day aged. It was like you know, like you know, like the Kobe beef in Japan, where the cows live this particular life and kill in particular. Wagyu, life. wagyu, wagyu. That's yeah, it. Yeah, Kobe is, I think, the same kind of thing. But wagyu's the 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 big one now, isn't it? Wagyu, but okay. <laughs> I like my traditional Serbian dry-aged sheep killed by a vampire that I find yeah, <laughs> and start yeah. chowing down. I bet it was expensive, five-day-old dry-aged sheep. Yeah. Not easy to get vampire slain sheep in these parts. <laughs> so Melissa is the first to die, and she's followed by Miloya, the 16-year-old boy. He picks up a three-day illness and dies. Then another woman after he, he died. He picks up a three-day illness. Yeah, so he is fine. He gets ill for three days, claims Melissa has attacked him, and then he kills over and dies as well. After he's been buried, a woman in the village named Stanoika claims to have been throttled by Miloya. He like, came to her and started strangling her. And then she also dies after three days. You know what? This could... Reality check. This could be like someone with some sort of mental complaint who's also got the plague going around throttling people and attacking people when they're doing <laughs> it she's giving them the plague and then they die of the plague yeah I mean there's a lot that could be going on here but I'm so happy to go with vampires to be I honest I think vampires so. is the most logical explanation well, yeah I'm looking I'm looking for an alternative to it to be because obviously both the answer's <laughs> always been vampires yeah I'm just looking for an alternative take I'm playing devil's <laughs> a little bit with it because 
because we know the answer's vampires. We know it's vampire. But it's good that you're bringing in the alternative theories. Because vampires will fuck you up, man. <laughs> That's the problem, man. That's it. We might get sponsorship from vampireawareness.org or <laughs> I think it's gonna I don't think it's gonna be .org, it's gonna be .ro. Like, yeah, probably. <laughs> so anyway, we've got this twenty year old woman Stana who has a n- newborn baby or a stillborn baby, depending on which source you go with. Stana had come from Ottoman held Serbia and moved to the Austrian lands. But she claimed also that when she was living in Ottoman territory, that she had smeared herself with the blood of a vampire to be protected from the vampires. There's a lot of smearing. There's a lot of smearing with stuff going on. Yeah. The belief was, if you're smeared with vampires' blood, you're safe from vampires. But if you die, that would make you become a vampire. Oh. And also her child. Uh, her child had what died. Why do you do that then? Well, it's like you're safe, and like I guess when you're undead, you don't care anymore. Yeah, it's like right. your problem. I won't care. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd give myself a smear. <laughs> smear test, but very different to what you think. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. So, she was twenty when she died, and her child was either a few weeks old or premature, depending who which source you go with. And because her child died before it could be baptised, it couldn't be buried in the churchyard. So they buried it behind a fence outside of her house. Uh, the child is noted that the body was found half-eaten by dogs because they didn't bury oh, it in the ground God. deeply. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. That's grim, isn't it? <laughs> what have you got there, boy? <laughs> A baby. <laughs> oh, God. God. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, with all of this carnage going on, like old ladies keeling over on their five year old sheep, 16 year old getting eaten by babies, <laughs> and babies getting eaten by dogs. There's fucking. Some stuff. You- I'm picturing it like, you know, like Santa's little helper on The Simpsons. (laughs) 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 Poor vampires. So with all of this fucking madness going on in this tiny Serbian village, the villagers send a complaint to, like, the local Austrian... (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) A strongly worded letter... (laughs) Vampires are eating our babies' dogs. <laughs> Vampire ate my baby! <laughs> well, we are Austrians. <laughs> <laughs> so, with all of this carnage going on, they sent a complaint to um, like the local o- Austrian military administrator, a guy named Lieutenant Colonel Schneezer. Lieutenant Colonel Schneezer is like. You know, an Austrian military man, he goes, okay, this is clearly a plague outbreak. Mm. These people are going fucking crazy. And he sends for basically a, what is effectively like a, a contagious disease specialist. This guy has the most fantastic job title ever. It's fully out of like Warhammer, which is an Imperial Contagions Medicus. Wow. 
Yeah. That is cool as fuck. That is 40k Space That is 40k. Marines. That is so Space Marines. So the Imperial Contagions Medicus Dr. Glazer is dispatched to the village to go and deal with what's going on. That is so cool. <laughs> what a title, man. Man, the world lost so much when the Holy Roman Empire stopped being a Ain't thing. It? Man, Germany just sort <laughs> shit out and become the HR of your game Come on. We've got German listeners, I know, because I've seen it on the tracker. Yeah, so write into your Chancellor, write into your President, tell them, we want Habsburg on the throne, we want to be in HR again. <laughs> He's knocking about on Twitter, man. He's hilarious. Yeah, Edward Habsburg, fantastic. Edward Habsburg's a top <laughs> geezer, man. Like, and I ain't being funny. The height, I prefer Jesus to HR. Yeah, since since you guys broke up, uh, not been so good. Yeah, you know what I mean. Brilliant <laughs> <Pretty> stone. <laughs> so anyway, so in December of 1731, Dr. Glazer from the Austrian Imperial Medical Schools arrives, checking the villagers for plague. Does the you mad you can, like just again how much of a gothic horror film this is like yeah. the imperial doctor arriving in the village and like oh I'm inspecting for plague and they're like ah vampires fucking the dog's still <laughs> dog's still running around with the baby doctor's like stop eating that sheep it's five years old <laughs> It's dry aged. <laughs> it's mature. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> so Dr. Glazer, he says, okay, there's no plague here. This is just these villagers are malnourished. There's not enough food and they're, they're dying because one, they're malnourished and two, it's the run up to Christmas. They're like all religious orthodox people and they're fasting like not eating before as part of the religion yeah so they're already starving and now they're starving themselves even more villagers are like no 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 vampires <laughs> and by this point the families are all like huddling together they're all like sleeping in the same houses and sleeping in shifts so that they're like watching over in case the vampires come like oh, normal life wow. in the village is just like really broken down yeah, that'd make so, perfect sense if you were that malnutrition, you'd start seeing some crazy shit, wouldn't you? Exactly, and they're all like deep in the delusion. They're all feeding off each other as well. You know, yeah. one person's like flipping their shit about vampires, and everyone else then starts flipping their and shit. You all start seeing it. Cause you're all super suggestive because you've your mind. You, you know, you've got not enough energy in your body to operate your brain. Exactly. You know, you're all freaking out. You're in this house. You're all setting each other off. You look out the window. The fucking dogs going past again. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be freaking the fuck out, wouldn't you, man? You'd be fucking... Man, I'm getting nervous now about dogs and bars. I've got to get down there anymore. Don't get in your baby. He's mouthing up that's five years old. <laughs> so the village demands we have to execute the vampires, and they present Dr. Glazer with, a, like, a ultimatum. Execute the vampires, or we will all leave this village. You know, the people are moving in and out, so it's a real threat, and there's a risk to the Austrians of losing the economic value of the area. Well, yeah, because that's the whole point in the area, isn't it? Exactly. So Dr. Glazer is like, okay, shut these fucking yokels up. We'll dig up the bodies and we'll have a look. 
So he goes down, digs up the bodies, and sure enough, finds that some of the bodies they dig up are undecomposed. Again, they have flat blood from the mouths and the eyes and the ears. Oh, wow. That's an official record from the... Yes. Wow. So he writes that's a report. serious as well, because yeah. obviously this is Ottoman Empire. We're talk- uh, Austrian, Austrian Empire. Empire. We're talking about this is like the, one of the biggest nations. great powers. It's, it's one of the greatest powers in Europe. This would literally be like, you know, that, like the American top medical guy, like Dr. Fauci, writing to... <laughs> writing a report like yeah, yeah members to people not familiar with the time period as well like Austria now is not what Austria you think now is the, the point we're talking is not it's everything from Austria the Czech Republic Hungary it spanned out a little bit into Poland it spanned further north it's this. it's a yeah, it's massive huge. country all through the Balkans all the way down to Turkey like towards like the Bulgaria, sort of Greece, it's like certain, yeah, it's no, stretching it's huge, that way. It's huge, massive. Like this is a big country, so for one of their top doctors of infection diseases to be like vampires, vampires, that's mad. He must be hypnotized by the vampires or something. Oh, I think mad. you that's... turn up in that fucking crazy hell hole that he's turned up in, and so he writes a report and he sends it back to Colonel Schneezer and he says. We need to execute the vampires. Now, Colonel Schneezer, like Austrian military administrator, gets this fucking hysterical report from a doctor that recommended to execute the vampires. Colonel Schneezer clearly looks at this and goes, I do not want to be the colonel that is executing vampires. That will be the end of my career. Yeah. So he kicks it up to Supreme Command, which is based in Belgrave, just held by the Austrians at this time. And it goes all the way up to the Vice Commandant, a guy named Botta Adorno. To give you an idea of how serious a guy Botta Adorno was, he would later be the ambassador to Russia, and he would end his career as the regent, i.e. temporary king, of the Grand Duchy of Tuscany. Wow. Okay. That was probably his reward for doing a good job in Russia. <laughs> he gets sent out, like, touches vampires and gets sent to Russia, like, fuck off out of here. You know what um, I mean? That's a big... Russia was the another major power at this time. So, yeah. So, this guy would become ambassador to Russia later. Big serious, serious guy. So, Botta Adorno sent... He gets the colonel passing on this report. Vampires in a village in Serbia. So, he sends a second investigation to try and crush this. Yeah. He sends a military surgeon, a guy named Johan Flukinger... And he sends two colonels, one guy named Butner and one guy named von Ledenfelds. So, again, a senior military doctor and two senior officers. Colonel is a senior rank. So this expedition that's sent down from Belgrade goes down to the village. They meet up with the village elders who get together a mob. They acquire several gypsies from somewhere to join the mob as well. (laughs) What? (laughs) Well, there's going to be digging involved, and I'm guessing it was the gypsy guys who got the digging job. Oh, good. So, yeah, I've so got get... lots of detail in the record as well. <laughs> <laughs> so they get together, and again, they form a little mob. They go down to the graves, and they dig them up. And again, we're now several months later when they've already been exhumed once. And of the graves they open, so Flooking a report 17 dead. Five of the bodies they dig up are 
as you would expect, decomposed and rotting for bodies that have been in the ground for like a year at least at this point. But 12 of them, no sign of decay, bloody mouths, fresh red and vivid skin, hair and fingernails growing. One, the body of Militza, which is the older woman, was noted by the villagers that she has become plump, whereas in life she'd always been dry and skinny, as they put it. So they're like, oh, wow, <laughs> she got thick. <laughs> right, this is mad. This is fucking <laughs> madness. That this is actually a record that's... Th- yeah, yeah. This is fucking mad. It gets madder, because you want to see where this record goes. Okay. So, <laughs> I don't even fucking imagine where this is going so, like, the military surgeon, Johann Flöckinger, that has been sent down by the left, the vice commandant of the Austrian military frontier. He has a look and, yep, vampires. So they get the gypsy guys to cut the heads off the vampires, <laughs> burn the heads of the bodies, of those 12 bodies, and Flöckinger writes up his report, and it's sent back to Vienna, and it's published in Vienna. It ends up in all the, like, the newspapers and the journals in Vienna, widely read and the report is finally submitted to the war ministry in Vienna so the, again they've killed this many they've killed 12 vampires can you imagine if let's say the colonel of the parachute regiment sent a report to the minister of defence in Whitehall that he's killed vampires do you think this was like just a bit of a political decision to settle the area I think that's where it started I think Glazer's, in it, definitely from Colonel Schneezer, he is like sending doctor in the first place because he's like, calm them down, send a doctor, tell them no, you're talking bullshit and shut them the fuck up. Glazer's report, you can either read it as him trying to calm the villagers down by like, yes, let's execute the vampires, or you can read it as, holy shit, vampires. Yeah. But at this point, we're now, you know, Lieutenant Colonels and a military surgeon, their Flokinger's report takes it seriously. It's like, yes, these are vampires. It's not like he's calming down the villagers. He's reporting back to Vienna. There's vampires. I don't get it. Like the <laughs> What the fuck, man? <laughs> a vampire so- is real. And I've been wrong. <laughs> I wanted to fucking lock the doors or something. Because I'm fucking... I've just said there's a big, there's a big shadow behind you. I know that no one else can see the camera, but I'm looking around, worried at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) So, in the end, the Empress of Austria, Maria Theresa, one one of Austria's greatest rulers, sends her personal doctor, like a, is a. uh, ethnic Dutch, like medical genius of the age, a guy named Gerhard von Sweiten. Van Spyten, sorry, to the region to go and investigate. Van Spyten finally goes down there and to quote him, he says, All this fuss doesn't come from anything other than vain fear, superstitious credulity, dark and eventful imagination, and simplicity and ignorance. And he goes down there and he has to explain to the villagers what's happening. So... They're opening graves and they're finding some of them are undecomposed. He explains, this is because the coffins are properly sealed. Oxygen can't get into the coffin, therefore they don't decompose in the same way like if a body's out in the open does. 
points out their beards and hair are not growing what's happening is the water is leaving the body and the skin is growing tighter and it makes it look like the hair has grown they're not growing new fingernails the fingernails are dying or falling off and the skin underneath is like smooth and shiny so it looks like fresh new fingernails so the whole thing is because people didn't understand how bodies decomposed what really happens to them once they're put away in a grave obviously you see a dead dog on the side of the street you see it decompose you know what it looks like if you but if you put a body in a grave for the most part you don't go digging it up again and looking at it yeah so yeah. you don't know what it looks like but as did the first geezer how did that's up that okay, that's a good explanation but the first geezer no explanation for that. Well, the body's still the same, and like some of the other stuff, we can now explain as well. So the kind of the blood trickling from the eyes. This is just literally like the blood leaving the body as the body dries out. Well, is that literally the, what happens? Yeah, it can be like your blood just leaves your body as your skin tightens and like the veins crack and you weep blood essentially. The smile, again, the skin is drying and the skin pulls back and it exposes like you know your mouth cracks open essentially. As your skin pulls back and dries out. Oh. Makes it look like they're smiling. Also makes the teeth look bigger as your gums are shrinking because they're dry. Which looks like vampires' fangs. Uh. People getting fatter. This is like, you know, a traditional thing, like going back to those blades and scythes in the graves. When you're decomposing, there's gas inside the body. The body swells up. Yeah. And if you stake it, that's all going to come flying out. The screaming the noise, noise. The scream, yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. the gas coming out of the body. Ah. So a lot of what the vampire legend is, is people just not understanding what happens to the body. Oh, that's mad. I was worried at one point then, you know, because I thought it might have been real vampires. To be fair, there is a guy standing behind you, though. So <laughs> <laughs> it's just me, just me coat. Oh, I'll just have to check it real quick. That's me coat. So, with all of this, the Empress Maria Theresa definitively stated there is no such thing as vampires, and the Austrian Empire passed laws against banning, uh, against opening graves, against staking or beheading bodies, and with that, the vampire would go into semi-obscurity for more than a hundred years until the 1890s, when a theatre producer from Northern Ireland would write a book called Dracula. Sorry, I said Northern Ireland. He wasn't. He was from Dublin, but he was an Irish Protestant. What a nabbed, as if you got that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you to know what I mean? It impresses me how much you fucking... How do you remember all this, man? I, I, I watch documentaries on stuff numerous times, and I still haven't taken it all in, everything that... To be fair, like, I remembered the detail of him being an Irish Protestant from a documentary about Dracula that I watched more than ten maybe 15 years ago that's bad man <laughs> <clears throat> um, so yeah so he was um, like an Anglican Protestant but he was from Dublin and he went to London where he worked in theatre and 1897 he wrote Dracula so he took this creature of which you know it was known but it was relatively obscure it hadn't become like the what well, I knew he knew about it 
So I mean, like, there had already been vampire books in the 19th century. There was one called The Vampire, and then there was another one, uh, I think it's called Carmilla, in the 1830s, which precedes Dracula, and it also has a female vampire as the main mm. villain. Well, that was a bit weird for the time. Oh, it's, I think the, va- well, the thing with Dracula and vampire stories is you think of what the Victorians are like. Super prim and proper. No, like, you know, uh, you know, lots of emphasis on morality. So no, like, obviously sex before marriage. Or, like, marriage exists to produce a family and be within the home. Mm-hmm. You know, everything is very, like, ordered and proper and, you know, king and country and everything. And then you think what Dracula is. He's an exotic foreigner who turns up seducing people. He has three wives. Yeah. It's a complete rejection of like the Victorian ideal. And in the book Dracula, like it's very sexually charged. Like the act of like the act of biting is like this clearly penetrative thing. It's very sexual in the book. Yeah. It's like yeah, not even a slight subtext. Um and I think it's also reflecting like British um insecurities and anxiety about foreigners and about Catholics as well. Mm. Obviously at this point we were very firmly Church of England, weren't we? Yeah, exactly. And, and we had been for what centuries. Three hundred? Mm-hmm. Three hundred years ish we've been Church of England, so we were very like separate from the Catholic Church at this point. Yeah. And Count Dracula is at least from a Catholic country, even though mm. obviously he's something not human. He's a sexy now, motherfucker, though. Interestingly, in the book, Dracula is described as having a moustache. No oh, film adaptation. Like a like kind of a wispy one. Yeah, I've got like a moustache. Not like your one. Oh. No, like a sexy one, like a horseshoe. I'm on sexy? What are you on about? Is, no. No. Oh, no, you've got a little sexy bits there. I'm you, yours looks like you open a kebab shop that gets shut down by health authorities. <laughs> Like you can tell a lot about the man's moustache. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a wicked moustache. So to close that, I'm going to mention one real-life vampire that we haven't talked about, and that is the real-life Dracula. So oh, the, the the main man, oh Vlad, Vlad the Impaler. Yeah, top gazer. Because what has happened, I think, with the discussion around Dracula and Bram Stoker's influences is people go, oh, it's, it's Vlad the Impaler. And it's sort of like people treat it as one-to-one the same. Like the most recent Dracula film, uh, shit, was Dracula Untold a few years ago, takes it and makes it like very explicit. I'm gonna is that argue... the one that's about Vlad the Impaler? Vlad the Impaler. And it's played by that geezer who plays someone in X-Men. Yeah, don't know. Like, honestly, I've hit the age where all Hollywood actors look the same. I can't tell them apart. Anyway, so... I'm going to argue that although Stoker took the name Dracula from Blood the Impaler, that nothing else really of the character, of the historical person went into the character. So... Dracula means son of the dragon. So, Vlad... In what language? In Romanian. Okay. So Vlad II, Prince uh, Voivode of Vlachia, had the name Son of the Dragon, Dracula, his father... Oh, yeah, of course, because it would have been Vlachia then, wouldn't it? Yes. So oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, so what we're talking about when we say it's from Romania, 
It wasn't Romania then. I'm going to make a point about this. Okay. In terms of differentiating Dracula from Vlad the Impaler. So, Vlad the Impaler definitely had the nickname Dracula. His father had the name Dracula the Dragon, and he, by extension, is Dracula. What time Dracula. period is this? What, what 16th century. 16th century, okay. So, it's in the immediate aftermath when the Ottomans first break into the Balkans. And yeah, they're, so at this point, they're independent as well. Yes. Wallachia is an independent state still. Yeah. So to give everyone context, Wallachia is a small independent principality. It's roughly the southern quarter or so of Romania, like the bit below along the Danube where modern Bucharest is. He's the voivode of Wallachia, and basically. Vlad the Impaler is kind of trapped between, on one hand, he has the large and powerful Hungarian kingdom, and on the other side, the large and powerful Ottoman Empire. And he's kind of trapped between them, playing both sides. And this point, a, the Hungarian kingdom would have been in the personal union with Austria? Uh, no, this is at the time of um, John Hunyadi and Matthias Corvinus. Oh, okay. It's at the end of Hungary's independence as a kingdom. Oh, okay, that's totally talking. Mm-hmm. So... Vlad is ruler of this small country that's trapped between the two. He's kind of allying with one against the other at different times. As a child, he's a hostage in the Ottoman court. Oh, shit, was it? So it, as a it, way of ensuring his father would behave. Okay. As a well, he, might, he might have heard the vampire stories. He's definitely from Romania, so vampire stories might be a thing. Um... As ruler of Wallachia, he eventually ends up fighting in a war against the Ottomans. And one of the most famous events is that the Ottomans are marching on his capital. Uh, I think it's called Targovishta. And Vlad has no hope of winning a pitched battle against the Ottomans. So what he does is takes his thousands of Ottoman captives, impales them in circles around the city... So the Ottoman mar army marching into this abandoned city just marches through like a forest of impaled corpses. Wow. Yeah. So, Vlad... Uh, Is that what, then? The Ottomans pack up and go home for a bit. He successfully scares them off. Eventually, really? That actually worked? That worked. Like, the Ottoman sultan was so traumatised by it, but he was like, okay, I don't want to fight this guy. Fucking hell, fair play, Vlad. And there was also a thing where the Ottomans had sent like uh, ambassadors to him to demand like he takes allegiance. And they didn't remove the turbans they wore. The particular version of Islam they followed required them to wear turbans. Yeah. So because they didn't remove the turbans, Vlad had the turbans nailed to their heads. Wow. What a yeah. case. To be fair, if I was the Ottomans, I'd be like, shit, I don't want to fuck with this guy. Yeah. So the guy had like the a. Arms are huge though. They're yeah, huge yeah, yeah. at this point compared to Wallachia. Like yes. Wallachia's a dot compared to the Ottomans, and they're yeah. backing off from him to put like full perspective to it. Like that's like a major thing. They could have very easily invaded. Yeah, this again, this to again to put it in context would be like, I don't know, like after nine eleven, like Afghanistan scaring the US not to invade. Something yeah. like yeah. that. Um. It doesn't work out forever, and eventually the Ottomans move in, and Vlad is defeated. In Romania, he exists as a folk hero, 
in other parts of Europe, he's seen as more of a monster. So Romania is divided into three parts at the time, Moldova or Moldavia, um, Wallachia and Transylvania. In Transylvania, the cities are inhabited by German settlers and they do not like Vlad. So they because are... Because it's in the Austrian Empire, isn't it? No, this is oh. before the Austrians are down there. Okay. So Transylvania is an independent principality, but it has a German settler population. A thing that, that just in general... Europe, up until 1945, South and Eastern Europe had German settlers scattered everywhere. Okay, it's only after no. World War II that they stopped being a thing. Um, what drove that? They were just moving out where there was economic opportunity. Like Germany was overpopulated, people moved east, and other places were underpopulated and were happy. Same as like, we talked about the Czechs the other week. Like They moved Germans in very happily in the Middle Ages. Okay. So anyway, like the German city dwellers of Transylvania did not like Vlad and they gave him a bad reputation. Mm. But he was a relatively obscure figure and like Bram Stoker probably got nothing more than a name. And this one would distinguish between Dracula and Vlad the Impaler. Because now, nowadays people often think like vampires, Romania, one and the same. Yeah. It's very interesting. I, to be honest, I actually thought the story came from him. I thought he was the origin. I think this is a like kind of a modern interpretation that went backwards as people looked into the inspiration for Dracula. Mm. But there's a lot of difference. So first of all, um, Vlad the Impaler is Romanian. Dracula is explicitly not Romanian. In the book, uh, he introduces himself as being a Sakeli, which are Hungarian-speaking people from Transylvania. So... Different language group, different religion inherently. He's not Romanian Orthodox, he's a Hungarian Catholic. Oh. Second, we think of Transylvania and Wallachia as being in the same country, Romania. Bram Stoker is writing in 1897. They are not the same country. Transylvania is part of the Kingdom of Hungary in the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Mm. Wallachia is in Romania, which is a different country. So we have a, a character speaking different language in a different country. It's not The distinction is much clearer in Bram Stoker's time between Vlad the Impaler and Count Dracula. <clears throat> so I think people make a bit too much of Vlad Dracula is Count Dracula. Mm -hmm. Definitely he's taken the name, he's taken inspiration because he talks about um, when Dracula is giving his life story to Jonathan Harker when he comes to visit Dracula in his castle. He describes fighting the Ottomans on the on the river and keeping them out and fighting as a Sakele, which is clearly drawing into that past of like, you know, Romanian Hungarian lords fighting against the Ottomans back mm -hmm. in the Renaissance. But all of the details don't support it. I think I'm right in saying that the word Romanian is never mentioned in the book. Because when they f go to when the scenes take place in Dracula's castle the local people are actually described as being Slovak. And I think the main thing this tells us is Bram Stoker knew fuck all about Eastern European geography. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> He's got that very wrong, hasn't he? Yeah. So for him, it's just like, you know, generic, exotic ethnicities yeah, that exist in the Austrian Empire. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, these Austrian foreigners <laughs> out east. And he's yeah. not made any distinction between the groups as a... Yeah. 
So, so what I links think... Vlad the Empire to, va- to vampires then? That's what I'm, I'm not following. Have I missed something here? So I think this is just it, that Bram Stoker thought that this was a cool backstory for his vampire lord. That he would be an aristocrat who'd been fighting the Ottomans and he has this cool name, Dracula. Otherwise, there's nothing else. I don't think. So there's historically nothing that links Vlad the Impaler to Dracula? No. Apart from the only, only the name. Son of the Dragon, Dracula. Yeah. Oh, that's mad. Whereas nowadays, of course, there's an entire fucking tourism industry built on the fact that Vlad the Impaler is Dracula. It's mad, because I was talking <clears> to a geezer at work, uh, who was telling me about earlier on, about there's a castle there you can go to. Yeah, and it's Brand all about Castle. It, and it's all vampires. Like you go there, and there's like a whole like actors and stuff that jump out at you because they're vampires and shit. I'm I'm glad you mentioned Brand Castle because this is like super famous. Yeah, classic Brand Castle. Yeah, yeah. Vlad the Impaler never stayed there. No, not his castle. His castle was Tagovista. <laughs> so it's a different castle for a character with minimum connection to Dracula. But obviously, they do massive business off of. The only reason Brand Castle has the association is because it's not ruined. Dracula's real castle, like, like the Impaler's real castle, was ruined. Up on a mountaintop and it's inaccessible. Brand oh. Castle is conveniently accessible, it's intact, it looks the part, and that's all it is. There's no connection. Oh, what would you do that to us <laughs> for a Remain in Why can't we get to the one on top of the mountain? <clears throat> you can, but it's like it's a ruined castle on the top of a mountain. So to close that with like shitting on vampire myths, there's a couple more I want to draw eyes oh, on. Did you hear that burp then? I yeah, it was disgusting. Burp then. Sorry, man. Is this is this lemonade, man? I'm drinking. So in the at the end of the 20th century, it became fashionable to like try and ascribe like scientific explanations to things, and I think this is also where like the the Vlad the Impaler is Dracula comes from. And one of the things like to explain the vampire myth was attaching it to particular diseases. There's a long-standing belief going back to the 1980s that the uh, blood disease porphyria is the same as vampirism. What's a blood? Hang on. What's a blood disease porphyria? Porphyria. And so it's um, a disease that causes like it causes. Uh, general weakness it causes blood blood injuries that don't heal it's like tiredness and paleness it's um it, it's actually it's present in the british royal family and it's also the disease that uh Tsar nicholas ii's son was afflicted with okay uh, without that the russian revolution probably doesn't happen because like nicholas ii's son prince alexei was really sickly and weak his mother was desperate for a cure she turned to the mystic rasputin the people hated Rasputin, and the consequences are the Russian Revolution. And the Zombobonia. Exactly. So, it's, oh, so essentially... Yeah, thank, thank you. Great song, man. Cracking yeah. <laughs> so, the, this disease has been connected with vampirism, but I think it's connected with vampirism as it appears in Dracula and other media inspired by Dracula. Yeah, that does not be, yeah. not with these older stories about like grinning corpses and fucking blood everywhere. Yeah. Similarly, while I was doing the research into this episode, one I was looking into the origins of vampirism, and there was a paper 
and it was connecting a disease called pellagra, which is uh, caused by eating bad corn, like moldy corn. Connecting That's a very specific disease that people well, the, the don't idea was, with anymore. Yeah, the idea was like, you know, like maize, like sweet corn type corn, spread in the 16th, 17th, 18th century after it came from the Americas, right? But if you're eating mouldy versions of it and you're only eating it, you get this disease called pellagra. So it connects in terms of time frame. But for every single like uh, symptom of this illness, they were connecting it to passages in the book Dracula, not to the actual mythology. Mm. So I think people have just got completely blinded by Dracula as a like a cultural sensation, and it's all of these like disease origins trying to explain the vampire myth. I think all of them fall into the same trap. Yeah. I don't think any of them explain the myth. So. That leaves us with how we more or less get to the modern vampire then. So we get uh, a more romantic version from Bram Stoker. Instead of like the horrifying corpse monsters eating people, we get an aristocratic, charismatic... It's uh, been sexed up. It's been Hollywooded it's up. Been it's been made up. all sexy. Like, you know, what's the film with the <clears throat> vampires versus the werewolves? Uh, oh, fuck. Um, Is it under, Underworld? Underworld? Underworld. Underworld. With Kate Beckinsale. Yeah. Like, man, them vampires, they're horny as fuck in there. Sexy they? They're just banging yeah. constantly. Like, everyone's just <laughs> fucking boning each other. Like, it's very sexy. And that's the vampires are that nowadays, aren't they? There's like a romance yeah. sexiness. Like, that's that's the keystone of it. But I think the sexiness, like, you know, so like I was saying, it's always there, right? Right back from that very first vampire mm. case, like turning up and, like, forcing himself well, on raping, his wife. Yeah, raping, raping his, his wife, wife. yeah. But the idea of the connection of vampires and sex yeah. has always been there. Um, and definitely, like, Dracula is sexy as hell. And then, like, you know, Gary, the Gary Oldman film in the 90s, it's super sexy and everything else. Yeah. And then, obviously, you get to, like, Twilight and stuff, which want to just take the sexy That's vampire. That's emotionally sexy. It was emotionally abusive. But <laughs> oh, yeah, well, and that. But by that point, they want to take away the darkness of the vampire. And also, like... You know, Brad Pitt in Interview with the Vampire as well. They want to make it a tragic figure mm. rather than a monstrous figure. Yeah. Um, so I think that's just kind of how it evolved. But it gets very, very far from where we started with, with like Serbian peasants. Yeah, it's fucking miles away from me. Yeah. Suffering Serbian peasants. Yeah. Suffering Serbian serfs. <laughs> Got them all in there, mate. Triple alliteration, what yeah, the hell? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so I think we can wrap that up. Actually, one final, final thought. The other week we were talking about Nazi propaganda and we mentioned German expressionism. And I somehow did not mention the film Nosferatu, which is definitely a film that you'd know. It's the one with the like creepy, bold vampire and like, the shadows going up the stairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is German expressionism. Oh, okay. That actually was a unlicensed adaptation of Dracula and so like Bram Stoker died in 1912 and that film was produced in I think 1922 so only 10 years after his death and it was supposed to be Dracula and at the last minute Bram Stoker's widow withdrew the rights from the film and it was supposed to be destroyed and it only survived by chance and now exists as like a classic of cinema that's fucking impressive and it probably is the single closest to the book adaptation of Dracula that exists. Yeah. 
Oh, that's mad, that is. So for your Halloween special, go watch Nosferatu. It's great. Yeah. Honestly, it does stand up. Fucking hell, fair play, man. I've not seen it. I haven't seen it. It's genuinely good. Okay. I'll take your word for it. Yeah. I know what your liberal types are normally like, so... Also. No, that's a genuinely creepy horror film. It is very good. Okay. Like, obviously, silent films, normally you have to give it some leeway and stuff. Okay, it's good for the time, but no. Nosferatu is good. You don't have to... Okay. Because the nice. horror doesn't need words. Yeah. I appreciate so, it. I like that you've done you, you did this. I like this. I like this little <laughs> Halloween. But I have to do more specials. What, what holidays coming up next? We can do a special for... I think we can do a Christmas one. I definitely. Oh, definitely a Christmas one. special. Yeah, yeah. Mars is coming up. We'll find something. Yeah, definitely. If your country has a local, national, or cultural holiday coming up in the next two months, <laughs> let us know, and we will try and write a special about it. It is up on the X. Yeah, it's up on the Twitter. Yeah. At Makers of History. Uh, Unless you are a primary school which has had history reenactors, we are not the right group. Please stop attaching us. Yeah, we're definitely not them. Or you can reach us at wearemakersofhistory at gmail.com if you have any input you'd like to add. If you have any this sort of like cultural mythology stories you'd like to talk about, then definitely let us know. And otherwise, we'll see you in two weeks and we'll yeah. continue with the Nazis. See you later, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.